Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be here at this conference. There have been so many encouragements. I can just speak for myself and uh, listening to the different speakers and uh, hearing their insights, insights into your word. And uh, I want to pray that during these workshop sessions that you'll be with all the different speakers that are presenting their topics, that you'll be with all um, that are listening. And I pray, Lord, that also in this session that your spirit may be very close to us, that he may be our instructor and our guide. And uh, I just want to pray that you'll use me as your mouthpiece and that you will speak through me. And... Um, I want to thank you that you've given us a um, complete message, like we spoke about yesterday, that you've given us a message that pertains both to spiritual and physical, social, um, and what did I say? Spiritual, physical, mental, and social area. And um, so we want to thank that you are a caring God, that you created us, and that you have. Um, that you have also counsels for our life. And uh, I pray that you'll bless this session, that we may feel your presence and that we may learn new things and also that we may be inspired to apply some of these princi principles in our own life and serving other people. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So uh, yesterday... Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Yesterday in the first session on health evangelism, for those of you that are new, we were speaking about Christ's method alone and we were looking at the connection that it is between health and evangelism. Of course, that is the title of the whole seminar, Health Evangelism. And uh, uh, we looked at the... Um, connection between um, the physical health, you could say, and the spiritual and the mental aspects and how these things are very closely connected. And so during this second session, we are going to take a look at some history in the Advent, Advent history uh, or how um, the health work was uh, progressing and how God uh, has been giving us a lot of light that uh, we can apply, uh, and that is a very effective tool to, to reach out with a message. And um, when you look at the Advent uh, uh, movement, we know, of course, that God gave light gradually, as he has done throughout all times. He even said to his disciples, you know, I have many things to tell you, but I can you, cannot tell you all at once. And so it was also um, in the Advent history, uh, we know that God gave um, increased light as they moved on. And um, we know that we receive special light on the law, on the Sabbath, on the sanctuary message. But like we talked about yesterday, uh, God is a God that cares for all the different aspects of life. And so he also gave graciously light also when it came to um, health. When you look at the habits of the pioneers of our movement in the beginning, their health habits was not actually very uh, good. Um, they were studying a lot, bending over their books, but diet and exercise, 
was not so much on their agenda. And um, we talked about yesterday how important it is with the health message also in order to have a clear mind to comprehend and to understand spiritual matters. And so in 1863, on June 6, 1863, in Otsego, Michigan, Ellen White received her first vision on health reform. And many of the things that God showed her in this first vision on this specific topic of health reform was very revolutionary at her times. There were things that God showed to her that was far beyond what uh, was the common you know, medical understanding at that time or, or practices at that time. And we're going to look at some of the things that God revealed to her in this vision. And uh, what I find very fascinating is how medical science today confirms the things that God revealed to her uh, at that time. And um, I just feel very privileged to be part of a movement that God is leading in such a special way. You know, how he was giving her that light. And I mean, not just to her, I mean, even the same principles we um, find in the Bible. (laughs) The health principles we find in the Bible, but she expanded Uh, uh, through this vision that was expanded and it was more um, specifically given to us as a people. So we'll be looking at some... Welcome, uh, welcome, Daniel. We'll be looking at some um, revolutionary, before her time, revelations. Uh, some of the points that um, was pointed out in this first vision that she received on uh, health reform. And one thing that was revealed to her was that a vegetarian diet enhances physical and mental endurance. (laughs) Now, at her time, that was very revolutionary because... And I think maybe some of, some of you have also heard the same arguments. If you say, you know, I'm a vegetarian. Sometimes people look at you and they're like, you know, a bit meh. How can the Exactly. It's a lot of myths that are still existing in today's society. You're weak. Weak, exactly. I experienced it, uh, like I told, um, made this vegan cooking book and... I love going on the doors uh, and using this as an entering wedge, like we talked about yesterday, how the health work is to be an entering wedge to reach people with the gospel. And um, many times then I tell, you know, about my experience and my changes in diet and how uh, it has improved my health and, you know, what I've studied in the field of nutrition and so forth. And, and then they say, what? Uh, it's no meat and no milk and no egg and, you know, what do you, what do you eat then? I mean... Man, you, I mean, how, you, you, how can you, you know, they, they don't understand. They think that you will just disappear almost, you know. Uh, so this myth is very, um, is still existing in our, uh, our world today. That's true. Um, but at the same time, um, at the same time, um, modern science is, is actually 
um, destroying this myth. But of course, uh, like many myths, they are lasting even for a long time in, in the minds of many people, even after um, science has proved differently. So um, this is one of the um, quotes um, where Anwar describes what she God showed to her. And she says that individuals will have greater power of endurance if they abstain from meat than if they subsist largely upon it. And then she says again, and this is uh, found in the book Councils on Diet and Food, which has a lot of interesting, um, very interesting information when it comes to diet, uh, especially nutrition uh, and its uh, relation to health. And on page 313, she says again that it is a mistake to suppose that muscular strength depends on the use of animal food. Now, actually, when you look at or modern science, um, even as early as in the beginning of the 1900s, there was a study that was done by Chitterden. And he was studying. Um, he was studying about the uh, what kind of protein that you eat, and then in relation to endurance and to strength and so forth. Chitterden. And um, and he was working with a group of athletes, and uh, he was uh, he wanted to see um, what kind of diet would be most beneficial for their performance. And so he had two different groups, and he was giving the one. Uh, diet that was based on meat or animal protein and the other group got uh, a diet that was based on plant-based protein. And uh, within just five months uh, of this testing period, the ones that were subsisting on the plant-based protein, they improved by 30%. And this was in the beginning of the 1900s. So even as early as that, it was already studies that proved or that indicated, we could say, um, that um, a plant-based diet is superior when it comes to performance and when it comes to endurance and when it comes to muscular strength. Um, okay. Um, yeah. And um, we'll come back to some other, uh, some other research also um, in this field. Um, it was another study that was done in the 1960s by two researchers that was named Harding and Starr. And they were also looking at the amino acid combination, which is like the building blocks of protein. And they were looking at what kind of combination would be the best and would most closely resemble. Um, uh, they were looking at two standards, the World Health Organization standard and then also the human breast milk, since that is like the formula that God has given to the human race. And they were also astonished about what they found in these studies. They were having three testing groups. One that was on a meat-based um, uh, diet. And then another one that was on a, a pure vegetarian diet. And one that was on a mixed uh, diet of pure vegetarian plus milk and egg, you know, like animal products, dairy products. And uh, they were actually amazed to see that the group that had or, or um, the um, diet that had the amino acid combination that was most closely resembling the human breast milk and the standard of the World Health, Health Organization was actually the plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. 
the total vegetarian plant-based diet. So you see, even when you trace the history, quite, I mean, for many years back, in the beginning of the 1900s, in 1960 again, um, serious research has been done that uh, has been proving exactly the light that was given to Ellen White as early as in 1863, that uh, actually a pure vegetarian, total plant-based diet is the best for endurance and for muscular strength. Now, it's not only um, in the vision, she was not only pointing out that um, a pure vegetarian diet would be beneficial to uh, physical um, yeah, um, achievements, but also when it comes to the mental aspect. This is quite astonishing what she says here. Uh, she says thing, it's just that eating much flesh will diminish intellectual activity. Students would accomplish much more in their studies if they never tasted meat. When the animal part of the human nature is strengthened by meat eating, the intellectual power diminishes proportionately. And I think that's quite revolutionary, actually, what she was sharing. Um, and she uses this quite interesting word, proportionately. So it's in direct relationship, the diet that we uh, subsist on and our mental accomplishments. Um, did you have a question? No. Um, and this is also quite interesting in connection with... Um, modern science that shows the same thing, that in, in meat products you have certain chemicals that are actually harming the frontal lobe. Neil Nedley, in his book... Harming means like reducing the... the Damaging harmful. Yeah. I understand harming, but does it mean like reducing the performance level? It is... It is certain chemicals, like uh, one that is called arisodonic acid, and then you have one that is called uh, hydro... Uh, I don't remember exactly. Hydro... Yeah, it's some different chemical substances that you find in meat, and they find it especially, they found it in sausages, in cheese, um, in the typical rich food. And, uh, and they've seen a direct relationship between these ones and then the functioning of the frontal lobe. And um, if you're interested, I can give you more information on exactly the names. They are quite advanced names, so I don't remember exactly yeah. the names. But it's, it's some interesting research that um, Neil Nedley is uh, sharing in his book, Proof Positive. And also um, in the book that is called The Lost Art of Thinking. Those two books I can recommend. They are very good uh, when it comes to uh, showing the relationship between mental uh, or mental health and or dietary habits. Very good uh, sources. And here's just a few quotes from uh, the book uh, Proof Positive in relation to what um, we just saw that Ellen White received this slide in her first vision that uh, it would be a benefit both to physical health and to mental health if we would... Um, remove the, the meat products out of our diet. Um, and he writes here on page uh, 541 in Proof Positive that uh, bicycle tests or athletes who follow a high-fat, high-protein, high-meat diet can triple 
their, their endurance by switching to a vegetarian type of high-carbohydrate diet. Triple. So we were talking about the athletes that were you know, improving by 30%. Um, uh, and here again, he confirms the, the same thing, uh, that uh, by switching to a vegetarian type of, of diet, that the endurance is increased. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I like all of the quotes, in, you know, and uh, I've read um, the book that you were quoting from. Mm -mm. Uh, I just have one question, though. When, when we are trying to witness to people who uh, don't have the same mindset as us, yeah. who are probably not even Christian, let alone Adventist, uh, it's very hard to, you know, we must remember, in my personal experience, we must remember not to come to them as if we have the whole truth. We must be willing to listen to their point of view, because... When she writes all of these um, councils, they are very much generalizations and it does not govern every single different human body. You know, a perfect example is um, Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world. When they ask him, what do you eat just before you run? I eat chicken nuggets. Yeah. You know, and certain human bodies, they, because of the way they have been since they were babies, the way their parents have brought them up, their body actually works best with the meat. And if they would change, um, they would go through a horrible like, sort of transition stage. Maybe they would have better endurance with a vegetarian diet, but because they're so used to it, um, then they're, not, they're, they're used to having meat. Um, and so, like, for example, and it goes the other way around as well. So, for example, mm. I was brought up vegetarian my whole life, and um, I know <laughs> that if I would try meat for the first time, I would be sick. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like withdrawal symptoms if someone mm, stops mm. smoking. If someone drastically stops having meat, yeah. So we just have to bear this in mind when we give counsels, I think, because when I try to witness to my family who are not, um, on my dad's side, who are not uh, uh, Adventists and mm. they're not really Christians either, um, they are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah like, don't mm. you see all of the books and things and nutritionists who say that you need this and you're stupid, why are you for, you know? And, um, but when I changed my approach and I said, that it can help, it may help, it has shown, and I would show studies instead of saying, you're wrong, it does bad for you, it's mm. not good for mm -mm. you, you know, then it helps a lot um, to be positive mm -mm. rather than negative. Mm. It's interesting what you say that sometimes uh, with the withdrawal symptoms that you talk about, you know, when people... Uh, maybe want to switch immediately to a vegetarian diet and then at once maybe they say oh but this is terrible you know I have all this it's very interesting because um, even um, and what writes about when she was switching because she was a huge meat eater she loved me she talks about her struggle when she was you know receiving these visions and she she was really struggling big time because she she was used to eat a lot of meat and uh, then she talks about that when she was switching, because, of course, for her, she had received a special vision. So she was very motivated to yeah. sh change. Of course, she knew it was from God. So she was changing immediately. But she said in the beginning, she felt so faint. And she felt like, you know, these withdrawal symptoms, like a, a drug addict would feel or, you know, one that stops smoking. But um, then um, after, um, then she writes again, I think it was after five months or something that she was again and she says I've never felt so good and I think it's important to share those things also with people you know that you're not just um, dogmatic or just saying you know do this and you you don't explain to them also the process and um, and that they also realize that just for 
when you speak to one that wants to stop smoking, you have to explain to him, you know, the process and how that you have to go through this certain period and that is a cleansing period for your body and so so forth and so on. So very good that you bring that up. Yeah. And um, of course, what we're doing now is basically just to go through some of them, the the history or the Advent history and see how this light has been, um, you know, shared to us as a people, you could say. Um, and um, um, yeah, and it, it's it's a huge blessing, but it's it's also good that we have um, these times to talk about talk together about how we can actually uh, implement that or how we can share that with other people. Um, true. Um, this is another um, quote from the book Proof Positive from uh, Dr. Neil Nedley, where he. Um, again, shares some of the more modern research that basically backs up or confirms uh, the light that uh, Ellen White received in this first, first vision. Um, and he writes here how that meat contains a substance that impairs the brain activity and lacks a substance that the brain needs to function well. And here it is mentioned, uh, one of those substances that I just mentioned um, yeah, and it says that our zodonic acid found in meat impairs optimal functioning of the brain center for wisdom, judgment, and foresight, the frontal lobe. So again, that is some of the modern research that shows the uh, relation between our diet and mental health. And mm-hmm. Is that because it contains too much? Because isn't this one of the... It is one of the amino acids. Uh, acids that you need um, because you cannot make them yourself? Yeah, I was actually asking myself the same question, but it's interesting. Uh, when, you, uh, when you read, for example, in The Way Out of Depression from Neil Nedley, when he writes about uh, you know, diet in relation to mental health, then um, it's talking about how um, when we talk about the amino acid combination... It's like five amino acids that is found a lot of in meats, and they all diminish, actually, um, they all have a negative influence upon the function of the frontal lobe. Um, and then uh, another amino acid, that is called tryptophan, which is very needed in order to produce serotonin, and that is found largely in plant food. But these other amino acids that is largely found in meats in meat, they actually diminish or they um, uh, decrease the ability of the brain to uh, utilize the tryptophan um, in order to create the serotonin, which is important in order to have a good um, you know, brain health and to have uh, a good, bright outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Did you say that some animal foods um, are not... Um, uh, get in the way of you making tryptophan, or they, what did you say? Yes, uh, you have different amino acids, and in meat, uh, meat products, you have certain amino acids that are in larger amounts, and, and, and these ones, they are actually counteracting the utilization of tryptophan in order to, to create, uh, produce serotonin in the brain. And so, I guess that is also why when we talk about amino acid combination in meat products compared to plant products, we're 
not only, I mean, um, we're not only talking about, you know, reaching the standard of the breast milk or World Health Organization standard, but this also has a big impact upon mental health. The reason I ask is because I had some trouble uh, sleeping and I asked the doctor what I could do and they said, well, you have low levels of serotonin and hmm. you can eat things that like, have, uh, like give you tryptophan, so, you know. Yeah. And uh, hmm. the thing that the doctor recommended me was cheese. Okay. Uh, and I hate cheese. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, it's not that I do it because of what I'm white, but I, I don't even like cheese anyway. Mm-mm. And so I was like, oh, I can't do that. And she said, oh, but it has lots of tryptophan. So um, maybe it's an exception of the meat products, maybe. But I don't know. But, um, but then I kept on researching and I found out that kiwis, uh, kiwi fruit, it, has, it can uh, increase your serotonin. So I have like one if I can before I go to bed and it helps me sleep. Hmm. So that's good. a good alternative. Yeah. And also, for example, banana. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. There you have a lot of B6, which is also needed in order to produce uh, um, serotonin. So um, you have a lot of and soybeans, rice, corn. You know, it's a lot of products that are, you know, good uh, for the production of serotonin. Okay. Any other questions before we move on? But this uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we are taught we need it because it's this that we cannot make ourselves in this. Mm-hmm. Yes, here it says it impairs the brain function. But of course, everything in moderation. Yeah, so mm. it, as with iron or other substances in meat, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even the essential amino acids, we need those, but in meat, the ratio mm. between some it's of just them. Just the I think maybe our ketonic acid as, as a group of fatty acids. Mm. It might be that the, 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 if there's different types, mm. the type in, in, in meat might be the one that compares. And then the other ones, in, for instance, uh, vegetables or, or fruit, is, is beneficial. Mm. Isn't, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it would be interesting to look more into that because at least you have, for example, when you talk about saturated fats, you know the composition in, in for example, coconut fat is different from the composition of saturated fats in meat products. So you have the shorter fatty acid chains in the plant uh, saturated fats. So they don't have the same effect in the body as the meat saturated fats. So, but yeah, we could look more into that, I guess. <laughs> Maybe we're tracing a little bit off. <laughs> yeah? Uh, we'll finish at 6 o'clock, right? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just asking because will we have like maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes to discuss? Because I don't want to interrupt. And so it's interesting to hear. Okay, so we will give it a flow and yeah. then we'll take some, some pauses. If you guys feel that you need to, no, 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 a, to take some, some questions in between, I'm also open for of that. Course. I'm just wondering so, how, you, how you plan uh, the presentation. Yeah, since we're a small group, we've actually had a quite open presentation. But of course, um, if we go too much off track, then it's not possible to come through all the material. So, um, so we can... Um, you know, we can move on in the presentation. And if you have some thoughts or some questions or some comments, you can write it down. And if it is something that is really pertaining to the thing that we're talking about, I'm open also that we can discuss that as we go. Good. Okay. Um, 
Maybe we skip this for uh, time's sake. Another thing that um, was revealed in this uh, first uh, vision, um, well, what it was that nuts can be used as a meat substitute. That was also revolutionary at her time. It was mm, not, you know, today it is kind of common that we know that you, you know, we can use nuts as a substitute. We have our nut steaks and everything. Um, but she said the following. Uh, and it is quoted in um, Minister Healing, page 298. And it says that nuts and nut foods are coming largely into use to take the place of flesh meats. With nuts may be combined grains, fruits and some roots to make foods that are healthful and nourishing. Now, it's interesting that... Um, uh, Neil Nedley writes in his book Proof Positive that just as many heart disease researchers were about to cross nuts off the list for healthful, healthful foods, uh, and that was due to their high fat contents, researchers at Luma Linda University found that nuts could lower blood cholesterol and provide corresponding decrease in the risk of heart disease. So um, when you compare, for example, nut products, of course, nuts is also to be used in moderation because if you use too much of that, it will also create acidity in the body and uh, it, is, um, it is, of course, it also has a, had a high fat content. But um, in many of the nuts, they have a rich content of the polyunsaturated fats and the monounsaturated fats, which uh, have a lowering effect on the bad cholesterol and um, is increasing the good cholesterol, the HDL. And for example, they have done um, studies with walnuts, which has been used as medicine in order to uh, lower the, yeah, for the brain as well, but also in order to lower the bad cholesterol. And actually what they developed was the so-called PS ratio, that is polyunsaturated fats divided on saturated fats. And if this ratio was, if it was scoring above two on this ratio, then it would decrease cholesterol. And that was based on the fact that saturated fat has actually even higher ability to increase cholesterol than dietary cholesterol itself. But polyunsaturated fats have an ability to decrease cholesterol. Now, saturated fats, they have a double as high ability to increase as polyunsaturated fats has to increase. And that is why they made this ratio. And so we see that, um, like she, um, that the Lord gave this light, that nuts could uh, uh, be a part of this uh, replacement for meat. And they contain fats that are beneficial to uh, or the health of the blood vessels, for example, in comparison to meat that has the opposite effect because, because of the high content of saturated fats. Mm -hmm. yeah, one, one really sad thing you see on those uh, food pyramids, you know, is they say, oh, um, you need like a bit of fat in your diet. But the sad thing is, is that they obviously, scientists know the truth, but to the public, uh, they don't publish the truth because on the pictures, they show that you... To get the fat, you should eat donuts and cheese and pies and So we know that good fat comes from, you know, olives, avocados, mm. nuts of good fat. But obviously, the public don't like to see that. Mm. They like to see 
oh, okay, I can't eat the, the donuts then. The doctor said I can't. Mm. It's sad. Exactly. It's the top of the pyramid yeah. dessert. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's kind of what you are allowed to eat if you have to. Exactly. Yeah, a little bit, you know. Yeah. But I think they they don't make it. They they know they don't make these pyramids after uh, how it should be. They try to take a middle road from what's mm. healthy and what yeah. they know people do exactly. mm. because they cannot. Exactly. It, it's a, it, otherwise it would be totally um, unrepresentative for for, for the population. Mm. And that's interesting when you look at the recommendations, for example, the Nordic recommendations, they have up to 35-40% fat or something. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. But it's exactly what you say. I mean, they don't dare to put it so low as is optimal because the average is, is higher. So they, you know. There's, and, there's another problem, and especially for the US, and that is uh, that the uh, companies that sell school lunches, mm. they put in a lot of fat and salt and things like that um, so that you continue eating it mm. and they know if they cannot uh, and, and so they are actually somehow influencing this dietary recommendation mm -hmm. because if they are not they cannot sell their school lunch mm. and they lose money yeah so. exactly so it's a lot of money and power behind it of yeah. course and the connections and um, uh, uh, artificially make many more people sick or um, uh, you would artificially make a, a much bigger part of the population um, look as if they eat um, unhealthy food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It is the case, yeah. but... Uh, it gives a yeah. better picture than what is reality. Yeah, it makes people feel good. Eh? <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's also interesting, I can mention that just before we go on, uh, that, um, you know... Um, Awad also writes that um, certain nuts are better than other nuts. And then she mentions, for example, that almonds are preferable to peanuts. And it's just interesting, you know, how she received all this light back in the 1800s. And they had no knowledge about, you know, all the specifics and the composition and so on. But, for example, the almonds, they score above 2 on the PS ratio. And the peanuts, they score like 0 point something, you know. So um, the, the composition of fats in almonds is much better um, for the heart health and, and in general. And it's just interesting, you know, those small details of light that God gave to us. The interesting part uh, about that quote, uh, she also mentions that while eating bread with the peanuts, you actually uh, get the same nutritional value as you would when eating almonds. And looking at the amino acid composition of these two parts, the bread, in it uh, by itself and the peanuts and combining these two you get actually the same uh, value as uh, you would when just eating an almond mm. so uh, knowing this it's uh, fantastic to see how she was inspired mm. Mm. so yeah mm. interesting yeah do you have anything to say about uh, peanuts and uh, women because I've read studies that women should not particularly eat so much peanuts because it uh, has um, it helps to produce the male hormone testosterone Okay. And so it's like um, it makes the same thing uh, with the pumpkin seeds. It has much zinc, zinc. and it's good for mm. men. Mm. So women should not be having so much. Uh, I've read some stuff about that. I don't know how important it is, but mm -hmm. uh, I remember in my old university in Brazil, we would make jokes because uh, mm -hmm. whenever they would serve peanuts, all of the women would um, give their ones to the men to make them more happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, sure. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, I would like to more uh, look more into it. Um, I I can't prove it, you know, uh, but uh, interesting. Well, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with the sink, I know, but uh, a bit with the testosterone, I don't have any, you know, uh, information on that uh, at this moment. But interesting thought. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that um, was uh, revealed to Ellen uh, White. Uh, was that certain combinations would be injurious to health. And um, especially some of the things that she pointed out was the combination of milk and sugar and egg. And uh, we know, of course, even today, that in many cakes, <laughs> I mean, what, what are the combinations that you usually have? It's like milk and sugar and egg and white flour and baking powder or something, you know? It's like the standard in almost all cakes. And it was at her time as well. And so it was like revolutionary to say that. But of course, what we know today with uh, the modern research is that exactly this combination, it has a lot of oxidized cholesterol, which is very harmful to the blood vessels. And uh, especially um, like what is topping the list when you, look, when you look at oxidized cholesterol, that is exactly combinations and especially like, you know, the custard mixes and the dry pancake, you know, the, the things where, that contains... Uh, egg and, and milk and sugar and also that has been exposed to oxygen for example dried milk and dried egg and you know uh, in products exactly and it was actually interesting um, it was one story that I heard in connection with this combination of egg and, and milk and sugar um, it causes a fermentation in, uh, in, in your stomach and so it was this one guy, and he had, uh, what do you call it in English? Skrumpleve, shrink liver or something? That you usually get when you uh, consume a lot of alcohol. And uh, he went to his doctor, and the doctor was asking him, of course, do you, do you drink? Because usually they would see the relation between drinking alcohol and then this shrink liver. Or, hmm? And so, uh, and he said, no, I don't drink uh, alcohol at, uh, at all. And the doctor was trying to continue with his um, consultation to find out the reason. And then uh, it turned out that every evening he loved ice cream. So every evening he would eat uh, almost like a whole liter or like a big chunk of ice cream. And exactly that combination had had a similar effect to alcohol uh, in uh, contributing to this Shrink liver. She says in diet and health and foods, I think she says, um, I don't want to paraphrase, but she says the combination of refined sugar and animal fats is as injurious as the harmful effects of smoking and drinking. Hmm. She actually says hmm. that. Yeah. And obviously, what is animal fat and refined sugar? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, actually, even uh, she says also that um, eating lots of sugar can be even worse than eating meat. And I think this is something, especially to us as Adventists, you know, sometimes we're like, oh no, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking, I'm a vegetarian. And then you come to the lunches, you know, or the potlucks, and it's like all these cakes with lots of sugar. You know, so sometimes we can be very narrow minded and just look at one point, but it is, we have to get the, the full picture and and look at the total health. It's so easy because you've been brought up with all the things that you don't do. Yeah, so yeah. You don't have to actively do anything. Yeah. 
Okay, just going back one slide. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned there ripened cheese, mm -hmm. which is, I'm very happy that you mentioned it because mm -hmm. uh, up until maybe a half a year ago, I discovered all types of cheeses and so on. Mm -hmm. But then I uh, watched a documentary, if you know about the Keepers of the Flame. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Anna White's uh, granddaughter uh, talked about how Anna White uh, and her family a cottage cheese, the cheese, which is actually fresh cheese. Mm -mm. So we have to make a difference also between uh, the types of animal products also. And uh, this, of course, when we talk, especially with people who are, I mean, new to this type of lifestyle, that uh, not all of a sudden say, no, leave this out, leave mm -mm. this out, leave this out. Gradually moving from one thing to another. So, yeah, mm -mm. when it comes to ripened cheese, it's bad, but... Uh, we shouldn't uh, discard, let's say, cottage cheese. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important yeah, to keep them, how do you say that, to... Um, um, yeah, to be... Uh, to differentiate, you know, that you don't put everything in the same camp, you know. Um, and, of course, there are things that are good, better and best. <laughs> and there are things that are uh, uh, wor uh, bad, uh, worse and worst. And, and it's, it's important also to keep that distinction, definitely. And it's true that, I mean, it's, it's a big difference between ripened cheese and the soft cheese mm -hmm. for, for the stomach and for the digestion, that's for sure. A bit of... Uh, but it's the green boost. The yellow cheese and the Yeah. yeah. So, uh, also, a lot of lager. And I'm you, of course, doing some soft. And I was a bit better. Like, uh, best. It's it's definitely better. That's true. Even though, of course, um, another aspect that you could look at is milk in general. You know, um, and uh, we could share a lot of information on that. I don't know how much time we have to share about that, but um, it's one documentary that I could recommend that is um, really good and showing a lot of research um, in the field of exactly that. And that is a documentary that is called Forks Over Knives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, you know it's not a Christian documentary, it's a secular documentary, but it's very good. It's good research. It's actually the most extensive research that has been done on nutrition in modern times. Um, that is, the f maybe you heard about the China study, yeah. So um, and there, uh, basically, the to to just say it very short. Um, this uh, Dr. Uh, Campbell that um, has written the China study and that also, um, you know, is a part of the story in the Forks of Knives, he was doing experiments with uh, casein, which is the milk protein, and um, then in contrast to uh, plant protein and in relation to, for example, cancer. And, uh, and he said basically through his studies that with the type of protein that he was using that he could, you know, turn cancer on and off in, in the rats and mice that he was studying with. So it's quite interesting to see, you know, the, uh, that the different sources of a protein can make such a big difference. And in that instance, he was actually experimenting with casein, which is the milk protein. So, of course, there are other things also to take into consideration when it comes to, to cheese, but yeah. It's good for us to keep in mind this, who have the possibility to choose. Let's say if I have mm. soy milk here on the show, mm -mm. or regular yeah. milk. But just, we have to understand that not every patient or mm. every person that we meet has the economic possibility to choose. So uh, this, Ellen White actually asks us not mm. to force, you know, so of course gradually, sooner and sooner. And uh, she said that these products will become more and more available to... Mm. Exactly, yeah. So we have to, you know... 
it's, very, it's, it's a very tricky role. Mm. It, it's not just a straight message, do this and this and this and this. You have to be very diplomatic when uh, discussing with people. About yeah, this. yeah. And you have to, you know, yeah, make them understand and be reasonable in yeah, your, your way of reasoning with people as well, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. But at, at the same time, I would say that, you know, when you talk about these things, when you meet people like on the street, or how to say it, actually many people are very interested in these things. And for example, milk allergies is a lot of it. So many people are very open to it. Actually, sometimes people outside are more open to these things than even people in the church. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes we can be, think, oh, this is extreme. But people outside, they're just like, oh, how fascinating. You know, like, for example, this documentary, Forks of Knives, is a secular documentary. But they are coming with so good do uh, documentation that people are just like, yeah, sure. Makes sense. You know? In my church, we had a health se uh, seminar on Tuesdays and we showed uh, Forks of Knives yeah. because we really liked it. And it was unbelievable that we mm. had churches, 400 people, mm -hmm. and only two people came. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But guess, guess how many people from outside of the church came? It was like over 50. See? Wow. Yeah. And they kept on coming. And then because Incredible. of that, they were coming on the next seminar, which was about um, prophecy and other things. Some left, but some continued coming. Hey, and praise the church God. didn't come. Because, oh, I've heard that before. That's so extreme. Yeah. But the people outside <laughs> the church, they came. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And this is the same experience that I have... My work as well, the people from outside, they are really ripe, you know, they're really ready to hear these things. And that is truly exactly what we talked about yesterday, this entering wedge, you know, like the right arm to open the door for the gospel. Um, I think the biggest thing is to, to show them what they can do instead. Mm. Because even if it's something they, they love or they like cheese and things like that, you can show them what you can do instead with healthy ingredients. Mm. Then they and they taste it and they like it. Mm. Then they're they are ready to, to to do it. So yeah. even though we have to be progressive, um, we also have to show them what they can do instead. Yeah. And that that can that will convince a lot of people. Definitely. We talked about yesterday health expo, and um, I, I can just just backing up what you're saying there. Uh, when we do the health expo, you know, they're going through the different stands and they are getting their cholesterol measured and everything. And then they come to the nutrition stand. And since I have an interest in that field, I all, often, you know, I've been on the nutrition stand. And then people are just so open. They're like, you know, I had these high cholesterol levels. What can I do? And the way is just totally prepared. And then you can show them, for example. I mean, then you make them taste a vegan cheese, for example. And they're just like, What? You mean this is based on just nuts? You know, they don't even believe you because they, they think it's so tasty. And it's like it says, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. People need to taste that there is an alternative. And, um, yeah, people are enthusiastic about it. Okay. Um, yeah. So we talked about... Um, discrimination of milk and egg and sugar and the uh, cheese and the oxidized cholesterol and this is from proof positive again and uh, it says here that oxidized cholesterol produces measurable damage to blood vessels lining cells and dramatically increases heart disease risk ripened cheese 
and dried custard mixes, typically containing sugar, milk and egg, are some of the worst offenders. So this is what we were referring to. It's interesting. Um, in the first fish notes that Elmwatt received in 1863, um, tobacco was actually a hot topic in, in that vision. And even as late as in the 1950s, the health organization said that the benefits of tobacco outweighs uh, its damages or something in that, to that effect. Um, it said that um, the American Medical Association said regarding tobacco that the benefits outweighs its harm. So, we laugh now, but no one knew in those times. So you would just believe the scientists, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So now we laugh because we have the knowledge. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it was revolutionary when she said those things, you know, back in 1863. Mm-hmm. I mean, they even recommended it as for asthma, you know, as asthma medicine kind of thing, you know. So it, it was like revolutionary when she came with, um, uh, with the insights that she received from the Lord Invasion. Uh, and she would say things like that tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison, and that it chains the will and holds the victim in, sla- uh, victim in slavery or habits difficult to overcome. Sorry. Uh, concerning tobacco, it's very interesting to read the, the, the first part of the quote, where she, if you know the mechanism of nicotine, how it works on the body, yeah. she describes it word by word, actually, how it first stimulates and then paralyzes. Yeah, so, That's yeah, right. So it's mm. really amazing to, mm. you know, she described it on a molecular level, molecular level mm. and this is something that we know just 10, mm. 20 years ago. Mm. So it's pretty amazing. That's true. That's true. Very good points. Yeah. Yes, it's something very short. Mm. It's so funny. I just talked with one of my colleagues and she... We were doing a computer program in class um, and showing how different substances were affecting the cells in the stomach to produce acid um, for for the stomach. And um, then it showed how um, um, coffee from caffeine, um, coffee, uh, it it makes the stomach produce more acid. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they, without me saying anything started talking about the exact same thing that we have uh, and now we're looking back on people and laughing at that they didn't know how um, harmful smoking yeah. is yeah, yeah. and she said hmm. wouldn't it be funny or yeah, yeah uh, that <laughs> people in 50 or 30 years look back on us and laugh at us because oh imagine they were <laughs> Your classmate. Yes. That's so cool. Huh? Yeah. Did, did you ask yeah. her if she would continue? <laughs> uh, drinking coffee. coffee. Uh, uh, she really thought that maybe that wasn't so good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, 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 of course, <laughs> picked up the, the thread and said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. People are open to it. They yeah. They, they, they start drinking coffee for one day, they, they, they f- figure that the body is not functioning the way it functioned before, mm. so it makes mm. you think like, huh? Yeah. Is it maybe addictive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, that's true. 
And, um, you know, um, yeah, we'll come to that actually in another slide. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, nicotine is more addictive than, than heroin. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to holding them in slave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Ah, there, it is. there it is. Yeah. Actually, it says here that in travenous, um, like straight into the blood, nicotine g gave scores five to ten times higher than even in travenous cocaine. So it's extremely addictive. And I know this also with working with people. Like I have a good friend. She was on drugs for almost 40 years, 35 years or so. And uh, the hardest thing for... Now she's totally free, praise God. But it was such a struggle. It was such a... Yeah, it was such a walk with her. But uh, she's a living miracle. But anyways, the hardest thing for her was the smoking. The drugs was okay, and the alcohol she could cut out, but smoking was really chaining her will. And actually, it had to happen a miracle. And it was so amazing. God just took it away like that on a prayer session during a camp meeting because she was not able to give it up. And she was just struggling and struggling. And her will was so crushed through using drugs and alcohol and nicotine for so long time. And in his mercy, God just took it away in one day, just immediately like that. <clears throat> So, yeah, it's um, addictive, as we uh, talked about, very addictive. And now <laughs> we know, I mean, even on the smoking packages, it says it straight out, smoking kills. So it's not even a secret that we need to find a lot of research on. But worldwide, smoking claims over 3 million lives each year. And also the mental ability is affected. Smokers are less able to perform complex tasks than non-smokers. This is also from Proof Positive, page 539. I was working in uh, construction uh, this year, you know, like uh, building and uh, demol demolition and things. And uh, it was so funny because then my, my boss, he fired um, two Portuguese and uh, one Polish man mm -hmm. during the time I was working there. And they were smokers, all three of them. And uh, it wasn't because they could do less work than us because they were weaker. They were the strongest one. Hmm. But it was because every 20 minutes they stopped working to smoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as well, of course, we know that the, the lung capacity yeah. would be less. You know, of course. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's incredible how fast time goes. Do you know the time is actually up already? <laughs> we're just like one third into it. Um, Okay, we'll just say, how many of you are in the first eating row, number one? Okay, shall we rush through a few things, and those that want to go, they can go. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, we talked about coffee and tea as well. That was also one of the things that was emphasized in this first um, vision that Ellen White received. And she saw that they were stimulants and that they were negatively affecting mental health. Um, uh, just because, are we allowed to get the pulp and apples? Of course. Yeah. You are. Sure. Of course. Um, and um, she says here, just uh, one of the quotes, coffee is a hurtful indulgence. It temporarily excites the mind, but the after effect is exhaustion, prostration, paralysis of the mental, moral and physical powers. 
And it's quite interesting when you, you know what coffee is actually doing in the body with the neurotransmitters and how it is um, affecting them. Actually, it's, um, it's speeding up the neurotransmitter acetylcholine uh, and it's um, diminishing the neurotransmitter adenosine. And we can, could compare that to the break in the gas in the car. So it's basically pushing the gas and it's like weakening or uh, incapacitating the, the, the brake. And um, Joachim, you remember in Kenya? We had, no, maybe you were not there that time. We had a car that had a uh, brake that was not working. And it's, it's quite it can be quite disastrous. So it's the same in our body when imbalance is caused in our system. Um, then it can have quite disastrous results. With the accident? Yeah, I think I think of another time. We also had a story the time you were with us. But anyways, just the illustration, you know, that when imbalance is caused um, in um, the system with the nerves, then, of course, um, and it's exactly what she says, you know, of course temporarily you feel that you have more energy and that's why people also drink coffee they're like you know it gives them energy but you're basically just the body is signalizing naturally that you need rest and then you're just pushing on 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 and in the long run you have to pay the consequences you have to pay for that you have a question yeah, or a comment wonder, i mean no one drinks one cup of coffee you know, people start with one in the morning, and then, mm. especially in Sweden, they have fika breaks. Mm. You know, it's, oh, it's the same in Norway yeah, too. We're so big coffee like, drinkers. It's a great conversation starter because they know that they need another coffee because they are going like it's like this. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think they are willing to consider that maybe it's not that they need the coffee, but that they need the coffee because they have the coffee mm. because they are going up and down. Yeah. Studies have shown that actually an apple contains more sustainable energy than a cup of coffee. Because mm -hmm. a cup of coffee gives you a burst and then goes away. Mm -hmm. But the apple gives you energy, but doesn't take away energy. You know? But mm -hmm. the problem is, is that apples are not addictive, but a coffee yeah. is. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's not a stimulant. I mean, coffee is a stimulant, and that is why you, you feel this energy, because your nervous system is stimulated. But um, uh, Ellen White has this very interesting quote, and she says that, Avoid all food and drinks that have a tendency to excite the nerves. And then she says, excitement will be followed by yeah. depression. And it was a study that was done in Tromsø in North Norway with 143 participants. So it was an extensive study. It was actually a heart study uh, by Dr. Bjelke. And in this study, one of the things that I looked at was also coffee consumption, because in Norway it's also a huge thing. I mean, people drink so much coffee. It's like, you invite people for coffee, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, they saw, especially in women, that in those that were heavy coffee drinkers, they had more cases of depression, they had more cases or oh, insomnia, of course, sleeping difficulties, no, uh, no wonder, and more cases of difficulties coping with stressful events in those that were drinking a lot of coffee. So did you say pushing the gas and the brake at the same time? No, you're weakening the brake and you're pushing the gas. So basically you are, you, you are making, I mean, if you think in a car, if the brake is not working, I mean, in a sense you could say, oh, it's not good that you can push the gas, it goes faster. But it's, it can be quite disastrous if the brake is not working. And, and the body has a natural braking system. When it's too much, the body tells, this is too much. But then the coffee is basically just weakening those signals. 
and then you are pushing your body more than I mean and then of course in the long run you have to pay the consequences yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't want to make some comments about how, like eating uh, meat foods and also other things that excite the nerves. She makes mm. comments saying that those things they stimulate. Paraphrasing, but kind of these words. She says mm. it stimulates your nerves and therefore excites your primal instincts, mm -hmm. making you have more animalistic urges. Yeah, she says that's that, true too. Um, you will have a more sex drive. Mm. But when I, whenever I have said something like that to people, they always criticize me for being so extreme and that she was crazy and that was not inspired. And I was wondering, do you know of any medical uh, evidences for that? Because it would be interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting connection with meat. When you think about that. It contains hormones. The hormones, yeah. Mm. And when you and it's especially in connection with meat eating that she's uh, making the comparison, and she says that the more animalistic, um, how, how, how does she say, it? faculties or something will be, you know, strengthened by meat eating, and it makes a lot of sense because in meat you have the hormones, and also when it comes to temper, I mean, your, uh, you know, um, that you get more easily like you know, heated up, <laughs> how to say it, irritated, you know, uh, uh, which also has a, re a relation. Think of those animals that are brought to be slaughtered. Of course, adrenaline is, uh, you know, um, speeded up in them before uh, that happens. And these hormones, they are found in the flesh and in the blood. And then you, you, you eat that. And of course, that becomes a part of you. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And anyone else that has some, some good research on that? Yeah. No, I'm just thinking that uh, probably several things both the hormones, but also just just the fact that when you eat, generally when you eat animal products, you, 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 the quality of your blood becomes worse, and then your, your brain function will be slower, mm -hmm. and then you cannot exercise the will as good as you can when you eat healthy. So it's, and just that <coughs> is strengthening the animal propensities. That means that you are more, mm. you're, you're more, uh, your tendency to follow the animal propensities are more stronger. Mm. So it's just that, but mm. there are probably similar aspects, there are probably many aspects of it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting in connection with the frontal lobe when you think about. Um, how uh, research shows that things like meat and coffee and tea and you know alcohol is affecting the the frontal lobe, and that is the organ that God has placed like the king, that is to be ruling the lower centers, you know the the, the lower centers like uh, you know feeling and uh, smelling and tasting and all those uh, centers they are to be subjects to the king. But then um, how that, when you, when you subsist a lot of animal food and are using the stimulants, it's basically strengthening the lower centers compared to the higher center that is supposed to be the ruling center and where you have the willpower. So, mm. Concerning the meat products, I, in, of every steroid hormone, cholesterol is the building block. Mm. It's the foundation of it. So, of course, if you have a higher cholesterol intake, Mm. the sex hormones will be produced mm. more. So, I mean, uh, this is quite far-fetched, but it would take time, but uh, this would be the final effect of it. Mm -mm. Mm. So. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Mm, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, I don't know if we should go through <laughs> all these ones because um, we don't have time for that. Um, but um, another thing that was also very strongly emphasized in this first vision was the connection between diet and lifestyle and mental and spiritual health. So it's not just about the physical health. We've been talking about, you know, how it is affecting the physical health and also mental so far, but that it really affects also your spiritual health. And, of course, we have talked slightly about this already. But that's the purpose of it all. I mean, if I get people to subsist on a better diet, I know that they will be more responsive, you know... Physiologically to the truth, mm. you know they they will be more clear-minded. They mm, will understand mm. it better. I mean, uh, yeah, you can't speak to someone who's drunk, mm. never. And mm. uh, even small changes, I mean, compared to someone who's drunk and uh, someone who's sober, I mean, even a, a change from going to a vegetarian, from a meat-eating diet to a vegetarian diet, mm, mm. would be would be easier for them to accept the truth. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, yeah, th that is our aim. I mean, yeah, if I manage to get to say uh, someone to stop eating meat you it would almost be as preaching a sermon because mm. we see this it's true it's true and we talked about that yesterday also how i mean of course statistically it shows that adventists are living longer but mm. actually it's not mainly about living five years longer on this planet no, you know health no. is not mainly about that it's about the quality of life and not at least that we have um, that we can comprehend, for us as Christians, that we can comprehend the things of God better. And we know that this is the case with others, just like you say, you know. So, of course, we want to share it because we want them to be able to have a clear mind yes. to get it, you know, to, to, to be saved, yeah. I was going to say, in um, councils to the church, um, she has a chapter about, um, like, uh, Sabbath, if I'm not mistaken, Sabbath meal. And she, like, she makes amazing hmm. uh, in, um, advice, which I love so much. And she was describing exactly the situation that I find in England. She mm -hmm. says, for some reason, the Adventist Church has found that it is a good thing to make the Sabbath meal the most expensive, luxurious meal. Mm -hmm. But I have received light that actually should be the most simplest meal. And then she explained mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. Because if you eat simple food on Sabbath, mm -hmm. after the meal, what happens in most places <laughs> is that people, do you think anyone wants to do a Bible study mm -hmm. or to pray or to talk about God? No. Everyone that wants to just lie on the sofa and sleep <laughs> yes. or to talk about football yeah. or something that doesn't involve mm. the brain. So true. She says, she it's says, so true. She says, and of course, when you are so full, mm -hmm. especially in Adventist places, mm. the first thing that comes after you are so full mm. is ice cream and cake. Mm. Always in Adventist mm. places, mm. especially in England. I don't know about here, but in England it's like that. Mm -mm. And it's so sad. And she goes on to say that if you eat a simple food, mm. then your brain, the, the, the word that she uses is um, spiritually discerning. Mm, exactly. Uh, so mm. that you will be open to spiritual message instead of uh, just wanting to sleep yeah. because yeah. you can't. You know, all the blood goes to your skin. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, and I read that. Told, yeah. told as many people as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very interesting point. And, you know, I think... I think it's important that we also think like that, <laughs> because as because like I said, we you know we have been very active in the temperance work and all those things, and sometimes we can bribe ourselves and say you know that sure you know I'm a temperance work and all those things, but temperance is not just avoiding alcohol and drugs. Temperance is avoiding all things that are harmful and using moderately the things that are good. And I think many times we lose out on exactly that concept of what temperance is all about. It's not just about no alcohol, no smoking. 
It's okay. temperance in all things. It's temperance in work, in study, in, in you know, the food that we eat, everything. We need to take that into consideration. Um, yeah, and I want to read this one. Um, this is from this first uh, vision. And for, for those of you that want to read the content of that first vision, it is found in this um, Spiritual Gifts, the fourth volume of that one. Um, and it's a whole sequence there. It's very interesting. But here she says that those who indulge a perverted appetite do, do it to the injury of health and intellect. They cannot appreciate the value of spiritual things, exactly like you said. Hmm. Their sensibilities are blunted and sin does not appear very sinful. And truth is not regarded of greater value than earthly treasure. So it really shows the relation between Exactly, diet and spirituality. Um, yeah, this another one is also good. Uh, all are required to do what they can to preserve healthy bodies and sound minds. If they will gratify an, a gross appetite and by so doing blunt their sensibilities and becloud their perceptive faculties so that they cannot appreciate the exalted character of God or delight in the study of his word, they may be assured that God will not accept their unworthy offering as sooner than that of Cain. It's a lame offering, you know, just like you say, you know, if you stuff your stomach and then you're going to have a Bible study, it's a lame offering because you don't have a mind to be able to comprehend the things of God. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Um, Daniel has used this expression sometimes, you know. Um, it's the same, like, if, when you have worship in the evening, sometimes we'll run into the thing of having that too late and you're just so tired and he says, that's a lame offering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, but it, we can give lame offerings. You know, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about how that the offering should be, you know, blameless without a spot or wrinkle or whatever. And, um, but we can also give lame sacrifices today. <clears throat> um, how long do you guys want to go? <laughs> okay, so um, we have more things to share, but maybe we should just close off with a prayer and then we just continue um, in next session. And that is actually not tomorrow, I think, but it is on Monday, the last session. And then we have actually a 90-minute session, so then we have some more time. Is it going to be continuing or something? I will maybe continue to, to finish up this one, but um, the third uh, presentation is basically about the... Uh, basic principles of uh, medical missionary work, like some of the basics. What what is the difference between you know using uh, nature's way compared to the traditional way? So some of the basics going through that. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we can close with a, a prayer together. And I just have to say it has been so interesting because you guys have just been sharing a lot of interesting um, um, you know inputs given me a lot of things to think about so thank you guys this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org